you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put a charge against him which read... This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by deride him, wagging their heads, saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma shamatani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielding up his spirit. And behold, the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. And the whole earth shook and rocks were split and the tombs were opened. And many bodies of saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we acknowledge that this Good Friday we are not worthy to come before you. And yet in your your love and grace and mercy to us, you have spoken and revealed yourself to the world that we might come before you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us have soft hearts, open ears, that we might hear what you have to say to us and that you might speak to us through the events of Good Friday. Help us make sense of our own hearts, help us make sense of the world and help us know more of Jesus, we pray. And it's in Jesus' mighty name and all the people said... Amen. Well, welcome 
Ladies and gentlemen, to our Good Friday service. If we haven't had the chance to meet before, my name is Nick. I get the joy of being the lead pastor of this church. And today and this weekend, we have the chance to reflect on what God has done in the world, in our world, in time, space, human history. Hopefully there's not much ice to break between us, but I thought I would start with a, a classic icebreaker question for us. And so you have to participate here with a, a show of hands. Uh, there is that classic icebreaker question. If you could be any animal in the world, what would it be? And so by show of hands, do we have any, any, anyone who would choose to be a lion uh, in the world? There's a few of us. You know, lion would be my choice. Uh, then I read that those who choose it are prone to narcissism. Uh, <laughs> And uh, any, 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 any elephants in the room, you know, big, you're, you're big, you know, you're invincible, really. And then you find out that the female elephants are pregnant for 22 months and you're like, eh, no thanks. Any dogs, man's best friends, you guys are all the ones we should be friends with, cuddly. Well, it is a classic icebreaker question and it is a classic icebreaker question because animals play a role in our world. They play a few roles but one of the roles they play is to uh, image forth for us, to represent, symbolize for us human attributes, strengths, values. That's what sporting teams are getting onto when they use an animal as their mascot to represent who they want to be, the values of the organization, which is why the blues are so uninspiring. When my three-year-old girl wants to exert strength and courage in the face of her older brother, she suddenly becomes a lion. And when she wants to be held and cuddled and treated like a baby, she becomes a kitten. This is what animals do for us. And the Bible itself conveys to us, actually, using animals to image forth who God is and what He has done for us. And this is what we're going to explore this weekend, this Easter weekend. Today, you might have picked up in the the readings that Nat read out for us, this imagery of Jesus being the Lamb. We're going to explore that imagery today. And on Sunday, we're going to pick up the imagery of Jesus being a lion. And we're going to do so because there is much confusion around who this Jesus is, There's much confusion in our day about what Christianity is all about, and yet the essence of it and the essence of who He is can be perhaps best summarized in these images of Him being a lamb and Him being a lion. And so we're going to reflect on the Good Friday story, the events that took place today, at even this very moment of the day, some 2,000 years ago in the Good Friday story. We're going to talk about the promise of the lamb, the presence of the lamb, and the punishment of the Lamb. Let's talk about the first. Uh, You'll notice in the icebreaker question, I didn't use the Lamb. The Lamb is a surprising choice. Perhaps not many of us would put our hands up to identify ourselves with the Lamb. But rather than identifying as a Lamb because of His physical or its physical attributes, Jesus is connected to the Lamb because of its significance throughout history. So Nat came up and read for us parts of Exodus. And in Exodus, we hear the story of what's known as the Passover. For those unfamiliar with the story, it's in ancient Egypt, some 1300 years BC, and a people, a people whom God had been forming and building and and growing, find themselves enslaved. They are enslaved to the oppressive hand of the king, Pharaoh. And our slavery isn't something that in our part of the world, 
feels very close to us. And yet we live in a day where there are more slaves right now in the world than there have ever been in human history. Thankfully, perhaps our moral compass has shifted to understand that slavery is now an injustice. It's wrong. People aren't property. Power shouldn't be used by that, but like that. But here, we have a whole racial tribe enslaved in chains in Egypt. And if you're not familiar with the story, it would be good to know that that the story goes that God raised up a leader, Moses, to come before Pharaoh to tell him to let my people go. And he did it again and again and again, and yet Pharaoh remained hard-hearted. And when you're God, you are all-powerful and and all-knowing, and you're in a negotiation, things are a little bit one-sided. And so God accommodates himself to Pharaoh so that he might show his power. And he does so through a series of plagues to try to show how hard-hearted he is and at the same time show God's power and sovereignty. And so water is turned to blood. There's frogs, there's flies, there's hail, there's darkness. And still Pharaoh won't relent. And still God's people are in chains. That is until the night of the Passover where God's own sense of justice and his love for his people can no longer put up with the hard-heartedness of Pharaoh and his people in chains. And so he instructs his people to prepare for a meal. Prepare for a meal. And we read in Exodus, verse 3 of chapter 12, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to the father's houses, a lamb for a household. And they're told then to slaughter that lamb. And verse 7 says, They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. And they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat. So they share in a meal of lamb together under the blood of the lamb. And yet included is, is bitter herbs that they might have on the tip of their tongue a taste test of the ugliness, the bitterness of the sin, the hard-heartedness that God is coming to judge. The explanation continues that the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will befall you to destroy you. And so that night, Passing over the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, God brings justice upon all of Egypt. And it's upon all of Egypt. Justice upon the Egyptians whose firstborn sons would bear it in death, but also justice upon the Israelites, and yet in their place, the blood of the lamb who had perished. And so the people go free. God has rescued and saved his people. And it is a remarkable story, and yet it is a gory story. Now, though we perhaps don't think about it, and though it is some 3,500 years ago or 3,300 years ago, it remains etched in the fabric of any Judeo-Christian culture around the world, this sense of justice and this hope for freedom and mercy. Now, we all have a hunger for justice, And in our day, we we talk and think a lot about justice and injustice, rightly so. But perhaps as we do, we experience something what Neil Postman, uh, an author of a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death, 
uh, wrote about, even before the day of social media. He wrote that, that our culture, our, our daily news is inert because it offers us continual information about things that we can do nothing about. And so he calls us a, a, a culture, a, a liar culture, low information to action ratio kind of culture, that we have too much info about stuff we can do nothing about and not enough information about which we can do everything about. And so justice issues can become something we, we lend our voice to, but yet merely we remain distant from them because they're out there. But justice and morality don't just sit out there, rather they sit in the hearts of every human being very personally and powerfully and we feel it when things happen in our lives. That inner lawyer that works pro bono for you when you feel like you need to jump to your defence because your motives have been questioned. The joy of seeing the, the car speeding past you only to then for you to pass it because it's been pulled over by the cops for speeding. The karma that we wish down on people who might disrespect us or slight us. I remember the last time I was caught breaking the law. I was stepping off the tram at Box Hill uh, and there were Mikey inspectors. And I confidently saw the Mikey inspectors because I was catching public transport at the time so often that I just naturally assumed that I would touch on and touch off regularly. And so here are inspectors and I thought, great, just another day. I'll go show them my card and, and I'll be off. But I showed them my card and uh-uh. I hadn't touched on. And as I'm getting my other card out to pay the fine, my inner sense of justice was burning within me. Like, aren't you guys meant to be out there catching bad guys? Which then occurred to me that it sounded like exactly a ba- something a bad guy would say. Because I was the bad guy in this time. Justice was coming for me. And there is something in our hearts that knows that we need justice And at the same time, there's something else in our hearts that so wants mercy and so wants to avoid justice coming for us. And this story of the Passover can seem very distant when only read on a page, but we live in the same world as them, with the same hearts as them, living under the same God as them. And here is where it intersects in our life, because the testimony of the Bible is that actually all of us have sinned not just against each other, but against the God who made us. That we live as as maybe well-intentioned outlaws who have ignored the one who made us and lovingly designed us and fearfully and wonderfully made us and, and knit us together in our mother's womb. That we've run so far from him. That we've convinced ourselves that doing life our own way is our best life that we can live. Yet, ironically, it's apart from the very source of life itself. And so whether we know it or not, that actually all of us who live in this world, who have a heartbeat, have a relationship with God because He's the one who made us. And yet, for many of us, that relationship is is strained because we've left Him. And so there's a justice issue there because we've run from the one who lovingly made us. And so we've caused an injustice and its consequences we're told are eternal and so every Easter particularly every Good Friday we get to face up to this reality where we have fallen short of our own standards of justice let alone the standards of a a perfect and, and holy God 
And we can do that because of this imagery of the lamb. A lamb slain for the sake of God's people. Slain to protect them from the sharp end of his cosmic justice. Slain so that they could go free and receive mercy. And we can face up to it because that picture is a picture and a promise for us today. If we fast forward some three. 1300 years, we come to the presence of the Lamb because in the first century, uh, the accounts of of history in in the Bible, the biographies of of Jesus' life uh, tell us about a man named John who just happened to be the the cousin of Jesus. And so you can imagine as the cousin of Jesus, they perhaps will have had sleepovers together, they will have fought together, they will have wrestled together, they will have joked together, John and Jesus. And yet there's this day where John sees Jesus in a different light. Jesus is walking before him as John's preaching and teaching and and telling people about God. But he sees Jesus this time and yells out in front of everyone, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And you can imagine at the time, in the the culture, in the context, that the people hearing John say that didn't think to themselves, Man, what a strange nickname to give your cousin. I'm sure there's a story there. This must be some background in the family there. The Lamb of God, gee, that's ridiculous. No, they knew exactly what he was saying. They, were, they knew exactly what John was talking about with this concept of the Lamb of God because every single year, his audience, the Jewish people, themselves slaughtered the Lamb so that they might remember that first Passover. And so John is saying that Jesus would be that lamb. Jesus would be the sacrifice. Jesus would be the one who deals with the injustice that we have caused, the strained relationship that we have brought about. And he provides an opportunity to put our guilt away, to see God's justice satisfied, but to see mercy offered to all. And so those, those dual desires in our hearts for mercy, for justice and for mercy, suddenly they can come together in Jesus, as the Lamb of God for us. Now, John had a a little bit of crazy about him. If you don't know him well, he was famous for what he wore, because he wore sheepskin. He was famous for what he ate, because he ate locusts. And so everyone perhaps would have thought, oh, this is John, he's just just going crazy again. He was was the quirky cousin at Christmas, who always said the the crazy stories that you weren't quite sure if, is is this true? But we know that John wasn't crazy in this instance because Jesus himself would say it about himself. He'd say that, hey, I came not to, serve, not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so don't miss what that means. Jesus, the most influential person in all of human history. Jesus, the, the one who has, has changed the world with his very short life of about 33 years. He tells us and he tells the world, we need to be ransomed. We need to be won back. Jesus is saying that apart from him, you and me are much like ancient Israel enchained in ancient Egypt. We're enslaved to a foreign power. But it's a power of our own rebellion our own rejection of God. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he says to the world, you need help. 
and here I am. You need salvation. You need to be freed. You need mercy. And here I am. And so let's talk about the events of Good Friday, the punishment of the Lamb. It was all happening, all coming to a head just earlier, about 40 minutes ago, Jesus was being nailed to the cross. And it happened during a week of Passover week. And during Passover week, Jesus had asked his disciples to go ahead of him and and prepare that lamb for the dinner that they were going to share together on Thursday night. And just prior to the Bible reading that we just read, had for us on the video, we can read of Jesus telling his disciples as they ate of the lamb, that as they ate of the bread with the meal, that this bread would be his body given for them. That as they drank wine together, this wine would be his blood poured out for them and for the forgiveness of sins. And as they finished the meal that night, the Passover itself wouldn't be finished. Because we know that Jesus was betrayed that very night, that he was arrested, that he was unjustly tried, that he was sentenced to death on a Roman cross, that he was beaten and flogged and led out of the city up on to climb a hill, the place of the skull. And there Jesus would endure pain so excruciating that that very word would have to be invented to describe it. Matthew tells us in our Bible reading, And Jesus cried out again as he was hanging on the cross. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And it's fitting language that Jesus yielded up his spirit because it tells us, doesn't it, that that Jesus didn't have his life taken from him so much as Jesus gave his life. Jesus yielded his life. It was given by him. A man named Octavius Winslow once said, Who delivered Jesus up to die? Not Judas for money, not Pilate for fear, not the Jews for envy, but the Father for love. Jesus was giving his life. Jesus was yielding up his life for you, for me, for us. Jesus was laying down his life as the sacrificial lamb in our place for us. Jesus was pouring out his blood so that the justice of God would be satisfied and that you might be able to experience mercy in him. 700 years before this moment, a prophet named Isaiah wrote, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And so the cross on which Jesus died, as gory as it will have been, is good news. Because the cross shows us that in all of us have sinned against God. All of us have, have fallen short of God's standard, God's glory. You and I have gone astray, we're told. We've centered our lives on ourselves. We've ignored the one who made us 
and lovingly created us. But we don't have to bear the sharp end of justice ourselves. Jesus has done so for us. We don't have to distract ourselves from that reality, from our fallenness, from our contribution to the injustices in the world. We don't have to kind of have this dissonance moment and, and distract ourselves us away from it. No, Jesus frees us to encounter reality, to say that, yes, we have fallen short and come to Him in repentance and faith so that we might be hidden under the blood of the Lamb. And so let me encourage you this morning. Perhaps you've had a whole year since last Easter of not having thought about this. Perhaps you're just processing it again for the first time in a long time in your life. But take a moment to to consider and reflect on your own standing with God. And humble yourself. And come before Him and see the free gift that's hanging for you on the cross. That's offered to you. In this imagery of Jesus being the Lamb of God. Sent into the world because such is God's love for you that He wants you back. That He wants you won back. That He wants you set free from the chains that we can put around ourselves because of living life our own way. God offers to all of us this chance in putting forth His Son, Jesus, as the Lamb. Our response to God can be neatly summarized by the uh, traditional Chinese character for the word righteousness. Here is behind me the traditional Chinese character for righteousness. It's said that, that even in history before the Passover happened, before 1300 BC, there's a story in, in Genesis where a man named Abraham is climbing a mountain with his son and he's thinking that to obey God, he's going to have to sacrifice his son and yet then God provides a lamb in his place for him. And it's said that the, the, the Chinese of old took that story and it kind of worked its way into how they understood righteousness. And so the character for righteousness is actually the, the character of a lamb hanging over the character for me or for you, for I. And so to be righteous is to have the lamb over me. I can be righteous by having the lamb over me. You can be righteous by having the lamb over you. And when we do that, we can be sure that there's, there's no double jeopardy in God. No justice has been satisfied by Jesus and mercy has been given to us. I love how Don Carson pitches out assurance because of this story of the Passover. Picture with me two Israelites having a conversation on the day of the Passover. They're out there in the, the land of Goshen in Egypt, chilling out, waiting for the, the night to come. And one of them says to the other, hey, man, you, you know, are you a little bit nervous about what's going to happen tonight, this, this whole Passover thing that we're talking about? You're a little bit nervous about that? And the other replies, what do you mean? You don't have to be nervous. Moses has told us exactly what to do. You've done everything that Moses told you, yeah? You've, you've got the lamb and you're going to kill the lamb and you're going to put the, the, the blood on, on the doorpost and you're going to gather your whole family around and you're going to eat the lamb together and you've got the bit of herbs there. You're going to do it all, yeah, right? And, and you know, once you, if you do it all, then, then we can be confident. You're fine. We're all good. And the man replies, well, well, of course I've done that. But we're talking about the angel of death. I mean, the, the freaking angel of death here. I'm a little bit nervous about what's, what's happening here. 
We've seen blood and flies and, and darkness. And now the death of the firstborn. This, this is crazy. You've got three sons. I've only got one. I'm nervous. I'm freaking out a little. And the other man says, no, nah, bring it on. I trust in the promises of God. Moses is God's man. He's got us. And so that night, the angel of death sweeps through the land. Now, which one of those two guys lost his son? The answer is neither of them. Because death doesn't pass over them on the ground of the intensity or the clarity of their faith. Death doesn't pass over them or the one who knows more theology or has been to church more often. Death doesn't pass over the one who looks like they have it all together and ex- kind of expresses a sense of great confidence. No, death passes over us on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. And so what are you going to say when you finally come face to face with the God who made you and the God who loves you and the God who at every single point throughout your life has been calling to you through His kindness to come and lead you to repentance and to lead you back to Him. What are you going to say when you, when you come face to face to Him? God, I tried so hard. God, I was, I was such a good family man relative to other people that I knew. You know, I kind of kept my life together better than the social, net, social kind of circles that I ran in. Look how successful I am. I, I, I did my best. God, you know that, that I, I did my best. No. We have no other plea but Jesus Christ, that he died for me. You know, you can know that assurance that doesn't rest in your sincerity, doesn't rest in your clarity, doesn't rest in your moral performance. It rests in the blood of the Lamb. You can know that by the, even this morning. Come in and hiding yourself under the blood of the Lamb. You can do that by repenting and believing in Jesus today. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.